It's like the game starts as soon as you enter. And I have gotten a lot of shit since SPF turned out to be a gigantic fraud. That anytime something really starts working, it's a surprise. Sam is an American, right? He was he was a celebrity in America. It's easy to blame a lot of it on Sam. Right. Wait, you also are an effective altruist, right? So you get him, uh, you get him soiling everything you're involved in. Okay, we can go there if you'd like to go there. <laughs> uh, the mood surrounding crypto in the United States is decidedly depressing. People are fearful of regulators. They're afraid of what will happen with legislation. But you go to Asia and it's completely different. I sat down with my favorite thinker in crypto, Hasib Qureshi, live on the floor of Token 2049 in Singapore, discussed why the mood is so good in Asia and what's coming for crypto. If you want to get excited and get a little FOMO again, this is a conversation for you. That's dope. You haven't done the trip yet, right? So no, no, I'm here to begin the first leg of the trip. But what's your general feeling, right? You're, you're on the West Coast of the United States. Yeah. West Coast Things are kind sleepy. of bad right now. Yeah. West Coast, sleepy, down bad. I mean, look, here, they have this, there are more people here than at East Denver. If this uh, were in... Multiples. I, I heard that it's like between ten and 15,000. Yeah. So, um, a lot of people here. Yeah. Like, you can tell Asia is, like, there's a lot more energy here yeah. than there is in the U.S., right? Same thing I heard from people at Korea Blockchain Week. I wasn't there, but I heard a lot of energy, a lot of excitement. Um, so there's just a big asymmetry between how people in the U.S. are feeling now people internationally, especially in Asia, are feeling. It's crazy because last year I went to Mainnet, New York. Yeah. And nothing. I love Masari. I love Ride. Yeah. It was depressing. Right. It was really like we were first starting to see the hints of this regulatory crackdown. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. What's happening? And then I flew directly here for this, oh. and it was like Crypto Palooza. Right. Like crypto Cello, whatever, whichever yeah, yeah, meme yeah. you want to call it. I, totally. I was like, wow, I'm re-inspired. I feel it. And it's 10 times this year. Right. Like, this is twice as big as it was last year, and everything in the United States is a third the size that it was. It's is that true. just because of regulation? It's not just because of regulation. Regulation is a part of it. But I think a lot of it is that in the US, the FTX story is what really, really kind of looms over everything in crypto. Right? It's hard to think about crypto and not think about SPF. And in Asia, the reality was that. Obviously, Asia experienced SPF and experienced the collapse of FTX. But here, like the press cycle, it was kind of like a two, three week story, right? It's like, oh, some American guys sold a bunch of money. Isn't that crazy? Let's move on. Um, it's kind of like in America, like Luckin Coffee, this is big fraud in, in China. Like, you know, they were cooking their books, basically. And it was a story for a few days and then we moved on. In China, it was a story that like, gripped the country for months. Um, the same thing is, I think, kind of true for the rest of the world and, and, and SPF. Sam is an American, right? He was, he was a celebrity in America. He was not a celebrity in Singapore. He was not a celebrity in you know, Korea or Japan or whatever. And so those countries just kind of moved on. They're like, hey, the Web3 story is kind of bigger than what's happening in you know, some exchange in America. So I think that's a lot of the reason why you don't see the same malaise in Asia as you do in the US. The other thing, like in absolute terms, like if you look at crypto prices, right? Everybody in America says we're in a bear market. In Asia, people are like, what are you talking about? How are we in a bear market? Like prices are up like 80% this year. Like if you, if you held Bitcoin, Bitcoin is worth more now than it was at the time that FTX collapsed, right? Which like, if you had told me at that time, like if you rewind the clock back to a year ago, and you had told me that in the next year, okay, 
The third largest exchange in the world is going to turn out to be a gigantic fraud, one of the biggest frauds in American corporate history. There's going to be like congressional investigations into what happens with this guy. Um, the entire executive branch is going to bang down on crypto. Like the SEC is going to declare every single token a security. They're going to they're going to sue Coinbase and Binance. Uh, there's going to be a financial crisis. Banks are going to collapse, which is going to be blamed on crypto. Um, and all of that, interest rates are going to go up to five percent, and they're not going to move. Right? If you told me all of that. Bitcoin I would have assumed Bitcoin at, Bitcoin at five to 10, <laughs> ETH at like, you know, 500. But here we are, Bitcoin at 26K, ETH at 1600. It's like, yeah, this industry is like, there's clearly, people know that this stuff is not going away. I think the story of the last year, which you just sort of t told was Bitcoin's drop in November and trading in January above the FTX. Exactly. Above pre-FTX. Exactly. Pre-FTX. Two months. Exactly. To retrace exactly. that entire thing. Exactly. The other thing I hear is we can blame Sam for literally everything. I like to a blame lot of Sam. It. A Robert. lot of it. A I lot wake of up it. in the morning and I'm like, my kids, they're being so difficult today. Sam! I, I sometimes I sometimes am there with you. I'm sometimes there with you. The, look, the reality is that a lot of this, it's easy to blame a lot of it on Sam. Right? Wait, you also are an effective altruist, right? So you get him uh, you get him soiling everything you're involved in. Look, I... I <laughs> That's it. Okay, we can go there if you'd like to go there. Uh, I, have gotten, I have gotten a lot of shit since SPF turned out to be a gigantic fraud by being an effective altruist. Um, I, am, I am by nature a very stubborn person. And so a bunch of people were like, why are you keeping that in your profile? Can you take it off your Twitter handle? I'm like, no, fuck you. Like, look, you don't say like, well, because like some uh, bishop turned out to be like stealing money, Catholicism is a, is a fraud. It's like, no, that's not how it works, man. Like, effective altruism is a philosophy. It's not a, it's not an organization. So, yeah, Sam's an asshole, but like, you know, you don't disprove a, an argument by saying, well, some guy did something bad. So what about it? Well, fuck that guy, yeah. you know? Like, that's the takeaway. So anyway, so I'm an effective altruist, that's true. Yeah. That said, um, I, I'm hurt a lot more by what happened to crypto than what happened to EA. Good. So, Good. you know. Oh yeah, so then uh, we know what happened to crypto. Yes. Let's talk about what's going to happen to crypto. Yeah. Obviously we have, endless narratives for what's going to happen always you and i had an amazing conversation where you i think i told you that michael saylor had said that uh bitcoin was like manhattan yeah and you quickly refuted that and said ethereum was manhattan and uh -huh. like solana was denver and i don't i don't know That's i don't right. know who was uh yeah, you know Omaha, exactly exactly detroit exactly. flint michigan i don't remember who that was but right. that, that very idea but since then, I think we've seen the proliferation of layer twos as a yes. huge narrative. Yes. And things have changed a lot. So now do you think that we still have that similar narrative for it? Or do you think that we're now in a place where everything's there, we can scale? Because at that time we were talking about, can we scale the mass adoption? Right. Is it possible? Right. We've right. never gotten the people to test that. Yep. But now I feel like we could. Yes. <laughs> you know? I think, you're, I think you're exactly right. We have this massive proliferation of block space. And you know, in, in the analogy that I give about different kinds of block space, um, I say the L1s are like cities, L2s are like skyscrapers, right? They allow you to scale vertically on top of a city that already exists. And investing in skyscraper technology is great. You know, it allows you to basically stay on Ethereum land with Ethereum norms and Ethereum, you know, taxation and all that stuff. But you can kind of ad adopt this stuff in a, you know, an OP stack roll up that kind of scales vertically. Um, it's nice. The reality is that a lot of the affordances around layer twos and the multi-chain interaction 
are still pretty shitty. Yeah. Right? So, like, it's like a skyscraper from, like, the 1940s where, like, the elevator doesn't quite work and, like, sometimes you got to take the stairs all the way. Like, it, it's... Slumlord. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's janky, right? It's janky. So, I still think there's some work to do to integrate everything, make it smooth, make it, make it painless. Um, but I think you're more or less right that the problem right now is not that we don't have enough block space. We basically have gotten to the point where we have enough block space, right? And you can see that because of the fact that fees are low. If fees are low, that means, hey, we got enough block space, anybody can move in. It's like saying, look, you could say there's not enough room in Manhattan, but if the rents go way down so you can get a, you know, a one bedroom apartment Everybody's for 300 bucks a month, yeah. then like, yeah, look, the problem is not the lack of space, right? Um, so I think the bigger thing right now is figuring out great applications that are going to drive people on chain. That's really the, 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 the bigger question than just the question of, hey, how do we get more block space? There is a lot of work to be done to integrate that block space better. So like, okay, we got skyscrapers, they're shitty skyscrapers. But we don't need to yet. We don't need to yet, right? That's not, it's not the binding constraint right now. That's the way I would put it. So what's going to be built that's going to actually create demand for that block space? It's a good question. Look, I'm a VC. People often look so at VCs you have the and best assume. No, 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 no. <laughs> People often look at VCs and assume that they know what the answer is. And any VC who thinks they know what the answer is is a terrible investor. But you should at least know what other people think might be the answer because they're presenting it to you. Yes, yes, that I do know. And you know, most of it, obviously, I haven't invested in because I don't think it's the answer. Um, the the reality is that the one that we know about crypto is that anytime something really starts working, it's a surprise. Literally. Look at Frentech, right? Frentech, surprise. Right? Basically, kind of looked like BitCloud, which was a project that basically wasn't able to achieve that kind of runaway growth. Um, Frentech, very slight permutation on the core ideas, suddenly takes off like crazy. Right? Same thing that you saw with NFTs. NFTs kind of came out of nowhere. Right? Like, I mean, yeah, there was some crypto kitty stuff that sort of died off. Dude, it was and then zero all of a sudden Saturday it went Night Live crazy. In like two months. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and so, th this I think is a common feature that you see in applications that really take off is that they're not predictable in advance. Right? The, the important thing is that you have enough permissionless innovation such that founders with ideas can very cheaply try things. Right? That's a beautiful thing you see with something like Frentech. It's very cheap to just like create progressive web app, works in mobile, get it, start trading, like something like Privy works. to get your wallet in there. I mean, look, it's a, it's a, janky, it's a janky piece of shit, but it like, like, that's the thing. I'm so much more bullish on an app that the user experience is like really crappy and people are still using it. Right, because they, you know the user experience can Exactly. Improve. Look at, look at OpenSea really in, of in it, 2021. Actually, but like now, at the beginning, Frentech, they yeah. were like, you got to, we were going to do a Twitter space on it. Oh. And Mario and Rand said, you need to sign up for Frentech because I was outright shitting on it. Okay, No, nice. you need to sign up, have a little bit of like experience. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. sign up and all of a sudden I see the bots go crazy. I thought I could just sign up and check it out and all of a sudden right. I'm for sale. Yep. Right, yep. and so I was like, okay, that's crazy. It's good. Like, it's have good. I secured time? It throws you straight into it, right? Gary Gensler now throws you straight into come it. after me for like an unregistered security of myself. Hey, they're know. keys now, they're keys. No so, shares, yeah, no shares. Right. So I, I didn't have the answer to any of those questions. Yeah. And and then UX UI was so bad that I was still dismissive. I yes. said, this is trash, it's going to zero. Yep. And then you saw TV all like this. Yeah. Then I was proved massively wrong, uh -huh. right? Yeah. Absolutely skyrocketed. Now I'm actually in there. I'm not trying, right. but like now I feel some responsibility. Yeah, yeah, you feel the feedback loop, right? That's the thing. It's like the game starts as soon as you enter. Like if, 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 it, if you think about something like, um, you know, a lot of social media platforms, one of the places where they lose a lot of people is you come on the platform and it's kind of like, okay, now post a video of yourself. And it's like, I don't want to, I don't want to do it. No, never mind, I'm good, right? The great thing about Frentech and the thing that they really figured out is you show up and the game has already started. You're for sale. You're for sale, 
right? You're for sale, like it or not, you're for sale. And like somebody is gonna buy you because they're gonna front run, other people are gonna buy you, right? And so like the, the, the UX is very much um, already throwing you into the deep end the moment you come in. It's like a video game and they don't start with a tutorial of like, oh, here's how you move. It's like they start and like already you're fighting the final boss, right? It's like, okay, that, that is how you make a good game. So I'm wrong. Why is that so wrong? That, no, I'm saying I'm wrong. Oh, you were wrong. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you were wrong. You so were you wrong. think that, I mean, you're afraid that, think but here's lasts? Here's uh, I don't know if it lasts. Or do you think that this is yet another one of those first iteration of something that will be bigger? But Here, here's what I'll say. Here's what I'll yet. say. I think Frentech has figured out there's a there there. There is something like this that ought to exist. Okay? Part of the way that I analogize Frentech is it's like a Twitter, but your audience is smaller than Dunbar's number. Right? Basically, your audience is like 50 people instead of 500,000 people. Right? And that is a very different kind of game, but it's still fun because the scale of those people, like they're, they're willing to spend the kind of money to interact with you that 500,000 people would be willing to spend to interact with you. Right? When you write a tweet that has 500,000 impressions, what is that worth? Like 50 bucks? I don't know. 20 bucks? <laughs> 50 I don't, cents? I don't know. 50 cents? I have no idea. I got $114 in my first. Uh, okay, there you go. For crypto people, none of it's worth anything. There you go. Yeah, exactly. 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 Yes. There you go. But I, so, yeah, I get the idea. Is yeah. A massively viral tweet maybe is worth 10, 20, 30. Exactly. Bucks, exactly. Right? So it's really, in a way, like price discrimination such that people are willing to pay the most show up in a private Twitter for you. And all of a sudden, now you're really getting paid to be a content creator. You're getting real time feedback. It's it's very different. It's a very different vision of what social media can be. And it works because mechanically, they've set it up in a way to be fun, real time, fast feedback. Now, is it ever gonna take over the world? No way, no way. Twitter is mass market. Mass market is like basically ARPU of the average user on Twitter is like a dollar yeah. like per year, a dollar per year, right? Whereas the ARPU of somebody in, in your chat room, if they buy your key, it might be a few hundred bucks, yeah. right? Or a thousand bucks. The only problem is then I feel like they, uh for that one-time entry fee, they expect access to you indefinitely. That's right, that's right. So, But I guess they can just sell you. They can sell you, right? So it's like a floating price. So there's right. no there's no firm commitment from you to do anything. Right, right? it's their choice whether they want it's, to stay. It's absolutely the their choice. They can buy, they can I'm sell. About this there's always liquidity. Yeah. I wonder what's gonna be built on top of FriendTech. Good, good question. I don't know. But I've already tell. seen that there's uh, like, you know, platforms where you can chart and see the, you know, the right. price action and right. things. I mean, it feels like everything that's being built in crypto will just be built on top of friend tech like it's another yeah. layer one. Yeah, it's very possible. I think this idea of having these open social platforms that are not, see, here's the thing I don't like about crypto. A lot of people in crypto talk a big game about displacing Facebook or Instagram or YouTube. I'm like, no, that's not where you're gonna win. Where you're gonna win is by creating something different that those people can't do, doing something that benefits from natively interacting with money and value, from being decentralized and open, but you're never gonna win on scale, right? Uh, Web2 wins you, on scale. Also, even if you attempt something that they theoretically could do, they're just gonna steal it. Yes, I exactly. mean, Instagram didn't just magically get stories, yes. right? I mean, we've seen the death of all these platforms that Facebook basically just replicates whatever you've done with their yeah. much larger audience and, and builds it. That's so you right. can't do that anyways. No, no. But it's interesting. I wonder how big a friend tech then could scale though. Can you can it be a can you have ten thousand people holding your keys and then it's not I think if you're system. a celebrity, yeah. you can. If you're a celebrity, you can. I mean we talk, right now friend tech is crypto celebrities, right? Yeah. But you get a real celebrity on there, you know, you get like a Rihanna <laughs> and I can absolutely believe there's more than ten thousand people who are willing to hold their key. Now, yeah. those keys might get really expensive. 
So imagine Rihanna has a fan club and the entrance price is $20,000, yeah. $50,000, right? Would Rihanna be willing to do that? I mean, look, it's better than doing concerts. Yeah. So, uh, and especially because she's not in there, it's her team. Right. She doesn't have right. to show up at all. <laughs> exactly. But exactly. she doesn't have to do anything. So, so I, I mean, with that in mind, you said you don't have the answer. I don't have the answer. You're not investing in most of this stuff. What are you actually, how are you deploying? Is it still, are we still in the, let's just do infrastructure because it's safe sort of deployment? Or is there stuff further on the risk curve that does interest you? I mean, we're, we're looking at everything. Um, I would say that right now, the themes that I think are most interesting to me at the moment, uh, or I say that are most obvious. So one, real world assets, I think is obvious, right? I mean, it's even got, now it's got an acronym, it's RWA. I mean, it's had that acronym that for like five year, years. But, that happened, but, but now everywhere I look, RWA. I know, it's like I know, in the last I know. month. Look, so once, black, once it goes in like the BlackRock yeah. annual investor letter, yeah. Yeah. okay, RWA, yeah. it's, yeah. it's here to yeah. say. Um, I, I think we're also, we're looking a lot at the institutionalization of the, um, the, the sort of exchange stack so this is another aftermath of FTX type thing, is that post FTX, no longer do institutions want to be custodying their assets on the exchange, right? No longer do people want to have everything run by the same party. Right. And the, for, forever, basically, exchanges have been entirely verticalized. Everything. You know, exchange, lending, trading, clearing, everything. Maybe custody. make account for the whole thing. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, you know, we're, we're really moving past that. And, you know, all these exchanges are demanding a very different type of, um, institutional friendly stack for trading. That's a big story that we're paying attention to is how the market's gonna shift. Um, and then after that, we're just looking a lot at the L2 stack. It seems very clear L2s are taking over the world. Um, it's not that I think L1s are gonna go away, but that L2s are really gaining in dominance and the future of Ethereum is entirely gonna be driven by L2s. Okay, so obviously Coinbase launched Base. That's right, which where Frentech lives. Where Frentech lives is seemingly the flavor of the month for layer twos, but That's it's right. tokenless. Yeah. Now we know that Coinbase wasn't gonna mess with uh, releasing an unregistered security token, yeah. so it makes sense for them. Yep. But does that take any of the shine off of other layer twos that do have tokens when now you can see that you can operate without one? Why do um, we need tokens for everything? Layer ones do. Yes, so, there, there's, so if you look at what Base is actually doing, right? So Base partnered with the Optimism Collective and uh, essentially what they did is they're joining the super chain. What is super chain? Super chain is basically you hand the governance and the operations of your chain to the Optimism Collective, and in exchange, the Optimism Collective takes a fee, right? So they take, uh, what is it, 3%, 15%, something, whatever. Yeah. There's some, some deal, basically, that you sign with the Optimism Collective. Um, and in that world, now optimism is the way you're decentralized, right? They sort of take the, op the decentralization for you. So, in this world, yes, you don't need a token. But where is the remainder of that, you know, 15%, 85%, or sorry, the 85% of the revenue and or 97 or whatever it is of the profit, it goes to Coinbase, the company, Yeah. right? So they're taking most of the sequencer revenue slash profits. Uh, in the world where you have a token, well, if it's decentralized on both sides, who gets that revenue and profit? Presumably it's the token holders, right? To and the, the token, token holders can also decide, do you want to stay in the super chain or do you want to exit and go roll, you know, go on your own, right? That question is always available to you one way or another as an L2. You're not locked into the super chain forever. But in order to be able to make that decision, you need some outer form of governance. In the case of Coinbase, it's Coinbase the company. Right. In the case of an L2 that originally has its own token, like so for example, um, Cello recently announced that they're turning into an L2, right? right? Well, you can imagine Cello might decide to join the super chain 
uh, because they're you know they're exploring the OP stack right now. But I don't, as far as I know, they haven't decided whether or not super chain, no super chain, whatever. If they do go the super chain, they can also decide to get out. And Celo token is going to continue to have that governance role. So, at the end of the day, there is I mean, a role for the token. There's always a role because there's always decisions to be made. Governance doesn't end with okay, we're in L2. This is one thing that um, uh, John Charbonneau at DBA has been talking about over and over and over again is that roll up as like oh, it's like it's just an, it's just you know a wrapper over L1. It's a simplification. There's still a lot of questions and a lot of moving parts that go into an L2. The same way, it's like okay, we have we have a, a, a skyscraper in Manhattan. We have you know, so we're in Manhattan. It's like now, what does your skyscraper do? How does it work? Where's the HOA or whatever, whatever, whatever right. it's called? What's management? What are the rules? There's a lot of details that go into it. Yeah. Okay. So Coinbase, obviously, we just talked about makes 85% of the fees. A lot of exchanges uh, are sort of disrupting their own model. Right. 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 Centralized exchanges clearly are not going to be the entire future of crypto. OKX has their Web3 wallet. It's a way that Americans can actually uh, interact with it without having access to the centralized exchange. Coinbase yep. has base. Do you think that something like base can be a bigger revenue model for Coinbase than their centralized exchange? That's a tough question. Um, I mean, at the moment, clearly it's a very small portion of the revenue, yeah. right? If you annualize their uh, their sequencer fees, you know, it's like, I don't remember the number, but it's it's very small and for Coinbase. Yeah, small business like that. That said, the interesting thing about sequencer fees is that basically in times of congestion, 100% of the fees basically go to the sequencer, right? So it's not like in Ethereum where some portion of the fees get burned. 100% and, and like, oh, this portion of the fees goes to the validators. 100% goes to sequencers, right? So it's every fee that ever gets paid goes to Coinbase. So that is an interesting business model when congestion goes up. Now, when does congestion go up? In a bull market, right? Almost all the fees get made in a bull market. So right now, we kind of don't really have a good sense yet of how well this thing monetizes. So I, I, I would say let's reserve judgment. Um, in a bull market, L1s or L2s or block space, they're kind of an amazing business model. Yeah. Right? They, they make a lot of fucking money. Yeah. When, if you add to that MEV. Yeah, when you launch an NFT product and a gas fee is $1,000. Exactly, you, you exactly. It's a pretty good, it's a yeah. pretty good line of work. So yeah. um, I think in that sense, we, we've yet to see how it might fit into Coinbase's broader revenue portfolio. Yeah. Um, but uh, to be clear, I don't think centralized exchanges are going away. No, me either. Soon. But do you think it's a wise model for them to at least explore disrupting Definitely. themselves, Definitely. knowing that there could be a massive downtick, regulation aside, in centralized, I mean, there's just a lack of trust in centralized exchanges. Right. Uniswap does more volume than Coinbase. Right. 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 So, I mean, they have to in some ways start to participate in that. Yes, I, I completely agree with that. Completely yeah. agree. When do you think, with your investments now, when do you think you're going to start seeing the benefit of them? Is this a one-year raging bull market, four-year cycle? Is it five years? Is it seven? Is it ten? I was joking. I was joking with Gorov. I was talking wow. before. He was like, you know, we're looking at three years, five years, seven years. And he gave some example. I was like, everything that you invested in for seven years, three years ago, is literally trash. Yeah. And yeah. is not coming back in seven years. Right. Right. right? So, look, um, crypto is hard to predict. It's really hard to predict. I would guess that we're going to see a lot more energy in the market yeah. by late next year. That's what I think. Um, One year. The reason why I predict that a few things. One, interest rates are going to start to decline, um, and in a way that I think we can kind of see the trend line. Um, second, U.S. elections. We're going to see turnover in basically the administration's attitude towards crypto. And third, and this is kind of the 100 IQ, but probably still maybe the most important factor, is that people just start forgetting about FTX. 
Yeah, it's literally like just the the more just time, time we put exactly just just more distance in the rearview mirror. I was talking to Caitlin Long, and she made the point that not only do we have the U.S. election, but if we have the same halving cycle, right? Like Bitcoin will be literally starting to boom within two months of the actual election. I I do not. I, I do don't not believe it, but I'm here way. for it. I think it's complete, <laughs> a complete astrology. I think it's bullshit. Right. Absolutely bullshit. The having. Yes, the having. The having have anything to do with prices? Bullshit. Total bullshit. I like it. I mean, look, markets are forward-looking. Okay, right. markets are forward-looking. Bitcoin. It's not. It's not 2008. It's not 2012. This is 2023. Okay. The, the reason why Bitcoin is valuable is because we know that it's going to be scarce. We know that it's going to have. Right? And we know exactly when it's going to have. And if, you look, if you're trying to evaluate this on flows, minor flows in Bitcoin are tiny. Right? They're small now because we've already halved a bunch of times. So in aggregate, it doesn't show up in flows. It's negligible in flows. And in terms of the actual, well, it's a, it's a narrative. It gets you in the press. I mean, at, at this point, the rest of the world does not care about the happening. You know? It's not going to get you back in the press. It's not an important story. Like the, the important stories are the ETF, <laughs> the election. Like these things really, really matter, you know. But the happening, I, I'm I'm very skeptical that it has any important effect on Bitcoin prices. But the good news is, if you're right about a year from now, prices being up, they'll go up anyway. You'll be getting to hear about the <laughs> happening. For People will, I know exactly right. They will absolutely all get get ascribed to the happening. All right. So next year we're gonna do this again and talk about the happening. I look forward to that. I look forward to that. Uh, absolutely. Let's go.